Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. But with that being said, uh, let's, let's ask the question now. Uh, how do we make headship and submission decisions? Now, if you've come to this point in the journey and you've heard us talk through individual decision-making and consensus decision-making, I hope uh, that the natural question in your mind would be, what's left? If we do these things well, how much will there be for us to make headship decisions on? And I think that's a healthy question. I think that should be the posture. All of us won't be there, but it should be the posture of where we are. That it should be the relatively rare occasion uh, that the husband has to say, I want you to trust me and support me in the decision uh, that we're about to make. Uh, but if you ask what kinds of things would be left uh, after deliberation, uh, the husband and wife may still disagree. Uh, that's not a sign of incompatibility. It's just two unique people in a one-flesh relationship. Uh, there's going to be times uh, when we need to be protected from the things that we want to do most. Uh, in the submission relationship that I'm in, uh, to the elders uh, here uh, at Summit Church and in a previous ministry where it was the board of directors, I can tell you one of the primary roles that they played was to protect Brad from Brad. Uh, Brad had more ideas about the kinds of things than we could do than could be pulled off. And I think we're all that way if we enjoy and want to engage with life. And I think the primary role of headship is to protect the family. And so this is one of those areas that would be a, a major expression of that. Um, Headship is relevant when an uncomfortable example needs to be set. Uh, what I mean there is that a husband should be the first to sacrifice. In a biblical view of authority, the authority is not the king who eats while his people starves. In Scripture, the view of authority is the son who set aside heaven to become the Savior. Within the gospel, sacrifice is the currency of leadership. And we can't forget that. Uh, headship is also about asking the, the difficult, uncomfortable question when it needs to be asked instead of just letting it set or forcing your wife to be the one to come and ask. And I want to give us that broader view of what headship means because if in our mind it is simply who's in charge, who gets the final say, who wears the pants in the family, uh, then we, we don't have a healthy view of headship. And I think that's what Winston Smith is getting at. When he says confusion over headship and submission is often the result of a distorted understanding of authority. No matter how marital roles are defined, they're only different expressions of love. Loving your spouse in his or her role includes knowing your spouse, not just his or her gender, and valuing his or her individual gifts and abilities. And this is where oftentimes I think we confuse gender stereotypes with gender roles. Because based upon gender stereotypes, I should have more tools than my wife. 
but I will tell you, Sally has more tools than I have. Uh, she has a bigger tool bag uh, that is more organized and better kept than my tool. Why? Because she enjoys refurbishing antique furniture. Uh, and it's just something that, that is very natural to her, her enjoyment of history. It just it fits who she is. And getting to know her, is it, honey, that's not very feminine. No, it's getting to know my wife for who she is. And part of my role as husband in leading my family isn't to force us into stereotypes, but to lead our family as the unique people that God made each one of us to be. And so as we think through authority, uh, while it may seem like an awkward question, I think it's a very relevant question because it's the one that Scripture puts at the forefront of this discussion. How does God relate to God? God is Trinity. Uh, And when Scripture gives this picture of what headship ought to look like in the family, one of the primary appeals that it makes is to the Trinity. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11.3. It says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. And so as, as Scripture is trying to help us see what does it look like for authority and headship to be expressed in any entity, uh, the primary appeal is to what God does and how He relates to His people and how He relates to Himself within the Trinity. He says you need to see that in order to understand what it is for a husband to relate to his wife. I think one implication of that is that those in authority uh, use their position for the benefit of those that they lead. And anything different from that is an abuse of power. Again, you may say, I don't hit my wife or I don't yell and call her names. If we are not using, if when we exercise an appeal to our role as head of the family, if we are not using that for the benefit of our family, I would say we are misusing it. Now again, there's other times when we'll come to how we express our preferences. We'll come to that in just a moment. But when we appeal to our role as leader, as head, it should be for the benefit of our family. Because the role of headship is more responsibility than liberty. It is more accountability than license to do whatever we want. I'll use an illustration here. And again, just use it for this one point. It breaks down if you take it further. But let's say you have a business where there is an owner, there is a manager, and there is employees. In this sense, we're saying that the the manager is in that husband-leading role. Now, does that mean that the manager makes all the decisions? No. Uh, if, If he's going to utilize the strengths of his employees well, they are going to make a lot of strength, a lot of decisions in their area of strength and expertise. But when the owner is evaluating the business. The manager is the one that he is going to call to account. And so in the same way, the one that, the, the one that God holds responsible within the family is the husband. If you look at 1 Timothy 3, uh, and the criteria that's used for a, a pastor, an elder, or a deacon, really a leader within the church, one of those leading criteria is does he manage his family well? 
And the expectation is that how a man manages his family is one of the chief reflections of his character. And that is where God holds accountability for the family. And if we miss that, and we begin to view headship as the freedom to do whatever he wants, then headship becomes a political power chip. And the husband and wife are imagined to be against one another when these moments come. It's not just that they have different opinions. They're against one another. There is this backdrop of strife and war, not trust and unity. And until we change that mindset, headship will never produce the kind of trust and safety and protection that God intended it to, for it to have and that it must have in order to be a blessing for the family. And, and I think, in some ways, Dennis Rainey helps us hear some of that when he says, the irony is that every marriage settles into some type of social and organizational arrangement uh, with both husband and wife playing a specific role to uphold it. Uh, the question is whether these responsibilities should be defined by God who created marriage or by the opinions of the two people in that marriage. And I think in this kind of setting, we would say we would trust God's design for marriage more than we would trust our preferences because we know those things tend to run away with us and get out of proportion when we don't submit those to God's design. And so we begin to ask, how do we make headship and submission decisions. And I want to begin by talking to husbands. And here, before we get to process, I want to give you five things that I think are absolutely essential before we get to the spot of trying to exercise headship in our families. And for wives, if you're here and you go, do I tune out for the next few minutes? No, these are the kinds of things that I would say it is our healthy expectations from you towards your husband. The first one, know your wife well. If we don't know our wives, then chances are where we start in a decision is not going to be where she starts. And because of that, there's going to be a lot of conflict or silence in the process. And then even if we make the right or wise decision, it may not serve our family well, or at least not nearly as well as it could. So I think we start leading by asking questions. Questions like, what's important to you in this decision? What kinds of your uh, dreams or fears are wrapped up in, you, in this decision? What kind of things would be most important uh, for you about this decision and me, uh, for me as I lead us through this decision? And just let me listen well. Second thing, Express honor in what you say and do. Uh, most abuses of power uh, or manipulation is not intentional. It's just when the person who is in power phrases questions and defines the decision in such a way that their preferred outcome is the only obvious outcome. It's not always this kind of sinister piece. It's just Okay, I'm in a position, and I am so biased to my own opinion. And again, whenever we're talking about this, we're not going to agree at the moment. We see this differently. As a husband, I need to be aware of my bias and ask, is my bias so strong that it 
influences the way that I ask questions and the way that I describe the situation so that I make my wife's position seem silly. Because the person who holds the greater power in the relationship is the one who is most responsible for what they say. Now, I'll pause and caveat this here for just a moment because, ladies, uh, there are many of you who are smarter than us as husbands. And the kind of power that you hold is not necessarily the positional power of headship. It's just how good you are with your words, how quick you are in your thinking. And you can phrase a discussion in such a way that your position is the only one that seems obvious or right. Um, And I would ask that you would show that same kind of honor and self-awareness in the way that these conversations go so that if you are one who is very skilled with your words and you think well in the midst of a conflict, that you do not use that as a competitive advantage to where your preferred outcome is always the only obvious answer. And so third piece, uh, institute healthy home policies. I know this is getting repetitive, but this is where the vast majority of cases that come to my office where there is difference is they are asking headship and submission, authority to do what only mature individual and consensus decision making should be able to do. Uh, They want to be able to dictate and nuance all the decisions in a way that you just can't micromanage that way. And you need healthy home policies in order to be able to have a functional home. Establish an environment of trust. Again, let me ask you the question. What is the difference between a hard conversation that remains good and an argument? It's the presence or absence of trust. Again, if we're having a hard conversation, we're not on the same page, we see it differently, but yet we still trust one another. We still give each other the benefit of the doubt. We still think each other has the best interest of the marriage in mind. We can have a good but hard conversation. Trust begins to evaporate, and that's going to become an argument. And so again, for I think these cut both ways. I'll put a special emphasis to husbands here. I think we should take advantage of every opportunity to serve and sacrifice for our wife so that there will be no reason for her to believe that we're being selfish when a moment comes that we need to lead. That is one of the goals that I have and just the way that I conduct myself day to day in my family is that I am serving and caring for my family enough that if there's a moment when when I feel compelled to say, I don't think that this is best, that I have not given them reason to doubt that in that moment I am being selfish. Another piece. Only respond to big deals as big deals. And when big deals happen, respond to them as big deals. Uh, Over and under reacting is one of the big trust breakers in any relationship. Again, just being honest, trying to show the level of self-awareness that I'm asking for here. When you ask me, Brad, where do you tend to overreact? It's when things get off schedule and they don't go according to plan. Again, it may be coaching one of my uh, boys' ball team, and I've got this great plan of how we're going to run an incredible practice, and everything's going to go beautifully. And, and again, that's where I tend to overreact. Where do I tend to underreact? It's the area of emotions. I'm a counselor. 
I'm around strong emotions all day long. If we're not having to call the police, doesn't seem like that big of a crisis to me. Again, it just, I'm not going to be a counselor and be unaffected by the emotional strain of the environment in which I work. And so I need to be aware of that. And when things are getting off schedule or not going to plan, I need to ask my wife, how am I doing? Is my response larger? Are my preferences becoming so large to me that I'm beginning to impose them with just the level of displeasure that I show? Or when one of my kids or my wife is upset, am I responding appropriately? Or does the other environment in which I live create a level of numbness to that where you feel like I am less there for you than I should be? And knowing that about myself, I should ask those questions on a regular basis. What that looks like for you, I don't know, but you need to know that. Your spouse needs to know that. And that needs to be a point of conversation in those times. And show interest in your wife's day-to-day activities and share with hers about your own. Because the more foreign that you feel to your wife, the harder it will be for her to trust you in a moment where leadership is needed. And just That's where that day-to-day communication, what's going on in your world, uh, what things are of interest, what things are changing about you, what is God showing you, what was funny and interesting in your day, just those kinds of conversations. The more I ask and show interest in those things to where my wife knows that I know her, And the more I share those kinds of things so that she knows me and where I'm at, then in that moment where leadership is needed, there is the greater trust of being known. And then fifth thing that's important kind of before we get into how to make uh, a headship decision is initiate important conversations. If there's an obvious conversation that needs to be had, Don't passively wait until your wife brings that conversation to you. It will be a radically different experience for her and for you. For her, she's believing, maybe rightly, that you're only doing anything about this because of her nagging. And for you, there is just this greater sense of defensiveness that tend to take hold when a conversation is brought to me and I knew something should have been done, but I just didn't do anything with it. And so, initiate that conversation. And I think it's good on a regular basis to just ask, is there anything that we need to discuss? Now, caveat there, don't ask that if you know what needs to be discussed. Uh, If you were just kind of harsh and overreactive, um, honey, you seem upset, what's on your mind? Is not the appropriate way to set her up to bring that to you. Be the man and say, I know I was harsh and I didn't respond to that situation well and I want to know what you're thinking and how you're feeling so that I can include that in how I repent and respond and and make things right. And and so acknowledge that in the way uh, that you bring that up. Don't believe the lie. If I bring up blank, It's only going to upset her. Well, let's look at the flip side of that. If I don't bring up blank, 
It's only going to get larger and it's going to come up at a really awkward, uncomfortable time. Then it's going to be much harder to deal with. Again, if there's been a change in job, I don't have the same amount of overtime pay that I had before and our budget needs to change. Or our kids seem to be growing more distant from us and we need to do something differently there. Or whatever it may be, if... Um, if I go, I just, I don't know what to do with that. I'm not going to bring it up. Bringing it up doesn't mean you have to have the answer. That's not what headship means. Headship just means I will be the one to introduce the question. And my wife may have a much better solution to it than I do, but I'm going to initiate the conversation. And if neither one of us has a good answer to it, then I'm going to be the one that says, this is a time we need to talk to somebody else. And leadership just means I keep the conversation going in the way that it needs to go. And those things are hugely important uh, for the involvement of a headship decision to be trusted. Now you may say, that sounds like a lot of work. And I would say, it is. Leading a family is an important job. And I don't say this to be rude, but lazy men need not apply. This this is where we say marriage is for adults. If one of the primary aspects of marriage is that I am ready to leave and cleave my parents, I I am in an adult relationship. And I think in light of that, we begin to hear a nuance of what God was talking about when He says it is not good for man to be alone, that we often neglect. And so, John Henderson helps us see that. He says, before Eve, who does Adam have in his likeness to love, to serve, to honor? Interestingly, only himself. This was the main issue. He had only himself to think about, to serve. To honor. That is what God called not good. Somebody who only has themselves to think about. In that alone state, Adam could not reflect the complete image of God. Complete image of God wanted Adam to reflect. And so when we say it is not good for man to be alone, there's an incredible self-centeredness that happens when I am the only person that I have to think about. My world becomes small. I tend to become depressed. I become obsessed with quirky little preferences that are just mine, and I get compulsive about them. And I need someone else to love in order to be free from my own wants and desires in order to express aspects of God's character that I couldn't express if it was only me. And so part of that not goodness of being alone is God drawing me outside of myself and I need to be able to see that even though it's hard and it's work, it is good. And there is a fuller life when that happens than when I am left to only think about me and my wants and my preferences. And so now we transition and we go, okay, if I've done those things, how would I as a husband begin to enact the process of making a decision? We're not on the same page. Uh, We've tried the consensus thing. We're not there. Where where do we begin? Uh, Step one. Enact healthy individual and consensus decision-making. It's a little bit of review, but I'll highlight one point that I think is particularly important for husbands here. Uh, We need to consult 
with somebody other than ourselves. And so when we talk about an individual decision making of consulting with other people, me going to someone that I value their opinion in this area more than my own, so that I don't give this sense of autonomy that headship just means I get what I want because I'm the husband and I can have it. (laughs) Me consulting with somebody else who knows more about this is an important part of me modeling the same thing that my wife is being called to do in this situation. And it's also in that process that we talked about with individual and consensus decision making that we get the kind of information uh, that we need for the next two steps. Now, the second piece here, uh, articulate clearly your wife's positions and concerns. I would say it this way, a husband who cannot clearly express his wife's position and her concerns in words that she would agree with is in no position to exercise headship. If my bias against my wife's position is so strong that when I articulate her position, it comes across as simplistic or condescending, then there is a lack of love on my part that does not allow me to lead her as Christ leads His church. And this is one of the primary areas that when I have couples come to me and they articulate their struggle as a headship and submission struggle, that I see is that both ways they do not represent each other's position in a way that is fair, in a way that is honoring. And that is a form of manipulation where I phrase the questions and I define the argument in such a way that my position is the only possible one. And so again, this is an area where I illustrate one of the the areas in our marriage where uh, we were going through this kind of process. Uh, It was during that time when we were anticipating uh, the birth of our first child. Uh, Both of our vehicles were old and we just needed something uh, because of the distance of our family that would allow us to travel and would be safer uh, for our child. My wife did not want to be a minivan mom. Uh, That just wasn't where she was. Now, it would be very easy uh, for me uh, at that season of life to portray that as vanity, as being selfish, as being silly. I really don't think that's what it was. I needed to be able to listen to her to such a point that, that I could hear her say, I've just never really driven a car that I was excited about. Every vehicle that I've ever had just seemed functional. And I was kind of hoping that our next one could be a little more enjoyable since I'm going to spend a lot of time with our kids, transporting them from place to place. And some of it was just kind of season of life, transition. You know, we were moving from uh, married with no kids to married with kids, and there was just Are we old enough to be there? There's just certain part of having a minivan that that makes you feel older. Uh, And there was kind of that process or rite of passage or whatever we're going to call that that was just uncomfortable. And if I was going to lead our family in that moment, I needed to be able to hear and articulate that in a way that she says, yes, 
You get that. And you don't make me feel silly. You don't make me feel stupid. You don't make me feel selfish for thinking that way. And that kind of leads us into the next one. To articulate clearly why this is important to her. The husband needs to make every effort, not just to know what she wants, but why. I should be very leery of exercising headship over a decision where the why of my wife's concern is not clear to me. Um, it's, it's hearing that that gives a level of security that is so important and helpful in the response of the wife. When I can say in that instance, I get it. This is part of that season of life transition for us and you wanted a vehicle that would be exciting for you and there's not much exciting about a minivan. There is a level of trust that just comes from you get me. You hear me. I I can take the next step in this process with you because what's important to me resonates with you. So next piece, vocalize what you're weighing in the decision. Because leadership is not just about understanding, it's also about being understood. need to talk about what's being weighed in the decision and the timeline for it. And so as we were making this decision, we're going through and we're going, okay, we got one child on the way, we anticipate having future children, and so we need this kind of seating capacity. Uh, Our family is at a good distance, so we need room for luggage Uh, We've looked at how many miles we put on a vehicle per year, and we can look up on, like, uh, you know, the consumer report and find out how many miles a vehicle will typically last for. So we're buying a used vehicle, and it has this many miles, and it typically lasts for that long, and we know how many years are laid out there. And so we know this this is the parameters in which we're making this decision. And so she hears me kind of walking through that, and that all makes sense to her, and and she's got no problem with that. And so uh, this was earlier in our pregnancy when we started talking about this, so we got like nine months to talk this through. My wife will tell you, almost to the point of being annoying, we're driving down the road, I'm slowing down that car, how many seats does it have, honey, what is it? Uh, We're walking through the Walmart parking lot, I will look in other people's car to see, this is embarrassing, I want to find a car. Do you like this? Um, it, that she could see what was being weighed. Is there any vehicle that would serve our family well for the duration of time that we would need in order to be able to save for the next vehicle that would not be a minivan that would excite you? Uh, that is hugely important. And doing that does mean inviting questions. What do you think about this? Do you like it? Uh, If she says, no, I don't like it, that little PTI cruiser thing, it looks like a gangster car. I'm not really a gangster person. I don't go, oh, nobody can please you. Uh, No. Um, It means inviting questions. Do you like this? Well, not really. Okay, what don't you like? Let me learn from this. Um, It, and again, it's, Keeping my wife informed in that kind of process that allows her to know what's going on so that confusion on her part doesn't come across as resistance. Again, if I'm not talking through the process of what's going on and I've made up my mind and I begin to enact that decision, she doesn't know what's going on, then 
her reaction in all likelihood is going to come across as resistance. Not because she's being unsubmissive, but because she doesn't know, because I didn't fulfill my role as a leader of keeping her informed of what's going on. And so we get to that point of decision. Uh, And this is where I would say we request our wife's support. Let me say it this way. Questions honor, demands dishonor. And so at that moment, I don't say, this is what we're doing, get in line. I ask for your support. Honey, I've looked at this, and as I see it, I don't see another vehicle uh, that is going to support uh, what we need uh, over the number of years that we have. Uh, And so we're close enough. I don't think we can wait any longer. Uh, I'm asking that you support me in us going to buy a minivan. And and I am asking because asking honors. Now, one of the things we give you in the notebook, if you look at Appendix A, is a series of dates. And one of those dates is a headship and submission date. So you can actually practice this uh, so that you're not doing this on like a major vehicle purchase for the first time. But you pick some things that are smaller and you just kind of go through this. And we give you the three dates for every seminar because we want to give you something fun that lets you rehearse uh, what we're talking about. But... Again, I don't think a husband can force his wife to follow. Now, what Scripture calls for is voluntary submission. And Scripture does not give a husband the authority to force his wife to lead. Now, um, it, so we get to that point, and the husband, if you're here, you might ask me, when do I choose my preferences? Um, And the answer cannot be when I'm convinced I'm right. We just wouldn't get to this point uh, unless we were convinced we were right. We would have solved it in consensus if that were the case. So if the criteria is when I'm convinced I'm right, then I would always get my way, and I think that's a selfish bad husband. So, uh, a few points here. Initial one's quick because the review. Moral protection. If I truly believe that, that the alternative is wrong, Uh, then at that point, I think it's just the role of being the pastor of my family, not because I'm a pastor at this church, but because every husband is the the pastor of his his home, uh, that would be a time when I would ask for my wife to follow my lead. Uh, If there's mission drift, if it becomes, I, I don't think we can do this and still love God, love our world, and love each other in the way that we're called to do. I just think it takes too much time, too much finance, too much attention away from these things uh, than we would call. Life balance. Again, kind of thing that we've talked about before. Uh, But I think the the overarching principle here is when I believe the issue warrants a withdrawal of trust. Um, If the decision, as I look at my preference and my wife's preference, and I think the impact on our family warrants that choosing my preference is worth a short-term loss of her trust than choosing my preference. That's kind of the criteria for all the others. Now, I do think if you exercise headship well, 
then there will be a long-term trust gain. But the natural question becomes, well, what if it's not worth it? I mean, what if it's not that important? You know, it's not a moral issue. It's not a mission drift issue. It's, I just don't think it's worth a dip in trust. Then don't use headship. Again, whatever decision that you reach, do not appeal to your role as head of your family if it's not that important. I think we should only use headship for things that are that important. And so more often than not, what that means is in that moment, I would defer to my wife. Because I only want to use headship or authority for things that are uh, that important. Now, important distinction here uh, between obedience and submission that I think is in that Ephesians 5 and following context. Uh, if you look at that passage in Ephesians 6, 1, children are called to obey their parents. Uh, a wife is called to submit to her husband. Now, there's a lot of implications between obedience uh, and submitting, but I'll draw out one. And it would be this. A husband does not have the authority to punish his wife for choosing not to submit. Uh, withholding finances, restraining social freedom, or some other kind of grounding-like behavior. Hear me say it this way, and I think it will become clear why I'm saying this. If the husband-wife relationship begins to take on the feel of a parent-child relationship, there is a bigger problem than a lack of submission. Uh, there is a breakdown there. Now, if you say, what if she's just really blowing it? Okay, well then in that case, we're probably talking about something that requires an intervention. We're talking about substance abuse. We're talking about being frivolous with the finances to such a degree that we're about to go into foreclosure. We're talking about something that is a social intervention component. We're not talking about something that is a punish about non-submissiveness issue. Now, we've left off a question that I don't want us to neglect. How does the wife respond to a headship decision? Uh, I'll start by asking a, a dangerous question. Uh, which is harder? Leading or submitting? And again, just don't answer that. Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, if we begin to make one harder than the other, uh, we do a disservice to both. And I want to just read a, an example of, uh, from a very prominent author that we use a lot here at Summit, uh, Tim and Kathy Keller. Uh, and this is Kathy Keller talking about a decision that she and Tim made uh, where submission was part of that for her. She says, It was clear to me that Tim wanted to take the call, uh, in this case, to plant a church in New York City. Uh, but I had serious doubts that it was the right choice. I expressed my strong doubts to Tim, who responded, Well, if you don't want to go, then we won't go. Um, <laughs> however, I replied, Oh, no, you don't. Uh, I think it's only Kathy Keller who gets to respond to Tim Keller that way. I just think it's awesome. I would love to be there to hear that. Um, you aren't putting this decision on me. That's abdication. If you think this is the right thing to do, then exercise your leadership and make the choice. It's your job to break this logjam. It's my job to wrestle with God until I can joyfully submit, uh, support your call. And so what I want to give uh, is, is five responses that I think are, are part of a healthy response for a wife. These aren't steps but I do think they're sequential. So if the first one is hard, I think all the rest will be uh, hard as well. And same thing with the second and so on. 
And again, I would clarify, these responses assume that the decision being made is not sinful or dangerous. Uh, But the first is to believe the best about your husband's motivation in leading. It is easy to view any leader who makes a decision that we disagree with as being ignorant, selfish, lazy, short-sighted, controlling, or having some other bad motive. Uh, Now, I think the effects of the fall and the subsequent subsequent curse makes that particularly pronounced within a marriage. Because if we look at Genesis 3, where God is speaking to Eve uh, after the fall, He says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. That there will be this sense of tension between your desire for him and his leadership and those things will be hard. And so, um, assuming the best uh, is a large part. Affirming the process even before you know the outcome. And hopefully that's the benefit of this kind of seminar where there is a known and agreed upon process that the two of you can refer to and utilize when a more difficult or contentious decision is being raised. But again, we just acknowledge, I think any husband in the room would admit, we're not always going to be right. Uh, And if the pressure is there to always be right, then, then that tendency will either be towards passivity, if I can't always get it right, I'm just not going to make a decision or towards control. I'm going to try to have my hands on everything around the decision so that it always works and I'm never proven wrong. And your grace to allow us to be wrong is incredibly value in us resisting those two temptations. Recent example in our family. We were, uh, this gives you a little insight into the Hambrick household and uh, the way that my wife and I are both planners. Uh, My uh, youngest son's birthday This was like nine, ten months before his birthday in March. So we're in like July, August. Uh, And my wife finds a coupon for a karate studio uh, and says, hey, this is a great deal for a birthday party and they'll do it and we can invite this many friends and it's great. Uh, What do you think? Um, And I don't know that this was so much a headship issue as she was much just weighing my opinion and uh, but I was like, ah, I just I don't know that he's still going to be into like Power Rangers and karate stuff uh, that far down the road. I think we ought to wait. And she was like, ah, I really think he will be. I mean, he just really seems to like this one. Um, I said, I don't think so. I just, I, I think we should wait. Um, she waited and she was right. Um, and, you know, she kept the coupon because she's amazing. And she called them and they honored the coupon. And it was really the coolest birthday party we've thrown for any of our kids. Um, but the fact that that was not, and I told you so, uh, held over my head where I was clearly wrong, was such a blessing uh, in a way that I think she protected me in my own insecurities and other ways uh, in that type of process. Uh, And so, affirm the process before you know the outcome. Strive to make the decision succeed. Uh, The level of effort you give to making the decision succeed should be as great as if the decision were your own. Husband, I would say this is equally true for us when we defer to our wife's presence, uh, preference because anything less than that is a form of bitterness that will be a root of trouble for our marriage uh, based on Hebrews twelve fifteen. Um, what does that look like? Uh, speak and think of the decision positively. Uh, this is important for 
protecting everybody around the decision. This is important for you as a protection against grumbling and fear. Uh, This is important for your husband as a protection against passivity and control. This is important for your children uh, as a way to teach them what it means to honor you as their parents or other authority figures when they don't agree with or understand uh, what they're doing. It's important for your friends and protecting their role in your marriage as being a positive influence instead of taking on a his and her capacity. And then finally, uh, offer feedback without questioning his role. Uh, Submitting does not mean being silent. Uh, Any decision uh, should be evaluated. And there is nobody whose perspective and input would be more valuable in that evaluation process than yours as a wife. Now, in that process, I'll give you just a a way to to couch that that I think can be particularly important. Use first-person plural language instead of second-person singular. I think for our family, the next time we're making a decision like this, it would be good for us to think about. I mean, do you hear the we, our, us? Instead of the next time you want to do this, I think you ought to listen to me. And those second-person singular, um, it, it makes the, the feedback harder to hear. Now, a word to the husbands about this. We should invite that kind of critique. It should not be our wife bringing that to us. Uh, it is vital for the trust in our marriage that we initiate that conversation. I would go so far as to say this. If we have scenario A, in which as a husband, uh, my wife and I don't agree, we have different preferences. If, if I choose my preference and it goes well, that's scenario A. And I have scenario B. Scenario A, I do not ask for feedback. Scenario B, I choose my preference It does not turn out to go well, but I invite her feedback. I would say the vast majority of the time, I will have more trust from my wife in scenario B than in scenario A. If as I exercise that, if I'm right but don't invite her feedback, and I am wrong and I do invite her feedback, the vast majority of the time, I will have more trust and it will be more of a blessing to our marriage if I invite that. Now, in your notebook, I give you three areas of questions to ask uh, to critique the process, uh, to critique my tone in leading, and to critique the decision itself. And I give you some questions that I think in that kind of order, you should walk through that progression whenever there's a time uh, that you exercise headship in a decision. And so one final quote here, Um, Winston Smith. um, He's talking to husbands. He says, remember... You are merely a steward of God's authority, and you are called to use it only for His goals and His purposes. As you follow Jesus, expect your authority to be costly. It will cost you more than it gains you. Exercising authority means laying aside your own welfare for the sake of others. Now again, in trying to bring this material together as a whole, I'll make kind of a candid statement. If you try to apply this chapter without the chapters on consensus and individual decision-making, I do not think it will serve your marriage well. 
but I would say that about all three chapters. Because marriage cannot be reduced to one or two modes of decision making. And I think as couples, most of us, we're strong in one or two of those areas. And we tend to avoid and or fight in those areas where a decision needs to be made in the areas where we're not strong. And so if you ask me, what kinds of things do we get from this seminar? What do we take away? Uh, well, you know, from, from that first chapter, uh, I hope you got an, a feel for what the challenges are for you individually and for you guys as a couple and how you'll make decisions. And then in that second chapter, uh, what I hope you got is a bit of freedom from that sense of fear that I've got to hit the bullseye and there's like one thing that's God's will and if I don't hit that perfect thing, then I can still do everything good but not be in God's perfect will and somehow I'm on His plan B. And then in the latter three chapters, uh, I hope you got a sense of what are, the, what are healthy processes for individual consensus and headship decision-making? And then when would we utilize that and how would we go about it? Um, because there's nothing about this that's going to make life easy. Marriage in life is about going into the unknown. Uh, that's, that's there and there's no processes is going to take that away. But I hope what we have done is created enough of a shared expectation and process that you can build trust between each other as you walk into the unknown. And the unknown doesn't become a point of mistrust. Uh, because what you want is to be able to have unity in the midst of uncertainty. Uh, trust in the midst of the adventure that is following God in the rest of our life. Uh, and if this seminar has given you tools uh, so that you can have the conversations to allow you to do that, uh, I would say it has, has served you well. Um, but again, there's no way that we will enact any of this uh, apart from our active dependence on God. And so I think the best way to conclude uh, is just with a word of prayer, asking Him to take and bless the things that we've learned. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to You, and we admit how much we need You. Lord, if we're honest, we take comfort and rest in the fact that decision-making doesn't rely on our ability to master three different protocols. But these are just ways that we can trust you and honor one another as we walk into the decisions that we make. Lord, we ask that you would take this time and that you would use it to that purpose, that as we follow you uh, with our spouse into the unknown, that we would grow closer with our spouse and grow closer to you. It's your name we pray. Amen.